because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Let me lead us in prayer. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, every good and perfect gift comes from your hand. And of special significance and a most special gift is your very presence. Lord Jesus, you said that it would not be to our disadvantage that you would depart but it would actually be to our strong advantage because in departing you would come again. You would give your very Spirit the Spirit of truth and He would lead us and strengthen us and open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Jesus. And in seeing Him we might love Him and trust Him. And in trusting Him, we would express a living faith and a life of love. What wondrous gifts these are that come from Your hand. And we pray now that You would encourage us that the unfolding of Your Word would give light and that you would point us to Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. I remember reading and reflecting on this passage, I guess it was about 25 years ago. And I was especially struck by the way that Paul links together these themes of love, faith, and hope. And I remember thinking to myself, I've seen Paul speak of this triad before. And maybe you can also think of passages where Paul does the same. And I began to realize that this is one of Paul's favorite ways of summing up issues of primary importance. It's as if these three words are hot links to the fundamentals of the Christian life. And we could look at each of these concepts and unpack the riches that we find in each of these. And here at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he sets forth this triad once more. Paul is overflowing with thanksgiving to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For three reasons. And from this text, I want to set before you the same three reasons to be thrice thankful this Thanksgiving as we offer up to our God and Father our thanks. Let's give thanks to Him tonight. First of all, because our life in Christ originates from a word of hope. And secondly, Let's give thanks to God our Father because our life in Christ 
escalates in a heart of faith. And finally, let's give thanks to God our Father because our life in Christ culminates in a life of love. It's a most wonderful, powerful, holy spiritual dynamic that God creates in me and that God creates in you. And let's look at them in turn. First of all, let's give thanks to God because your life in Christ originates from a word of hope. Do you notice how Paul speaks of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven? It's the first reason for thanksgiving. It's the hope that has been revealed in the Scriptures. And it's the hope of which you have heard it in the word of truth, the gospel. Notice the priority that the Apostle Paul gives to this hope. It is, he says, the because. The NIV translation speaks of the faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all the saints because of, or that springs from, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. This is the foundation. This is where it all begins. A word of hope. Biblical hope is not a worldly, iffy, I hope so, but I don't know so, kind of hope. Biblical hope is always the sure expectation that God will deliver His people. Consider first that God will save you in a particular direction. He will save you from this present evil age to the glorious age to come. He will save you from shame to honor. He will save you from slavery to freedom. God will save you from weakness to power, from waves of anxiety to peace. Be still. He will deliver you from using people to serving people. He will deliver you from emptiness that craves to get, get, get to fullness that overflows in give, give, and give some more. He will deliver you from a vicious downward spiral of folly and deliver you to a gracious upward spiral of wisdom. He will save you from living from yourself and dying. And He will deliver you to dying to yourself and living. It's the most wonderful hope in the world. And God will do it. You can count on it. Consider secondly, that God will not only deliver you in a particular direction, but He will deliver you through a particular person. A pathway through the person of His beloved Son. The Apostle Paul, in his most thoroughgoing treatment of the Gospel, in his letter to the Romans, begins that letter by saying, 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And of special importance is the way that Paul brings into focus and describes the Son on whom the Gospel centers. On the one hand, he is the son who was descended from David according to the flesh, but on the other hand, he is the son who was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by his resurrection from the dead. And note carefully, the contrast is not between the two natures of Jesus, that is to say, between the divine nature and the human nature. No, the contrast is between the two stages of Jesus' bodily existence. That is to say, between the Son of God in His humiliation from Mary's womb to Joseph's tomb to the Son of God in power from the resurrection to present exaltation. In the Gospel, this hope is revealed that on Friday, Jesus was condemned as if He was the guilty one. But on Sunday, He was vindicated as the righteous one. On Friday, He was lost and forsaken at the cross by the Father. But on Sunday, This son of his who was lost was found and embraced by the Father. On Friday, Jesus came under the dominion of sin and death. But on Sunday, he was set free to walk in newness of life. On Friday, the body of our Lord Jesus was sown in weakness and shame. But on Sunday... His body was raised in glory and power. And why do I labor the point? Because God has established a bond between His Son and His people. It is the most wonderful tie that binds. The one will represent the many. As goes the shepherd, so go the sheep. One small step for Jesus is one giant leap for all of his people. Do you see? Do you see this ray of hope shining through the prism of the resurrection? This light of the gospel refracting in a multicolored hope. The vindication of Jesus on Sunday is your justification. Righteous before God with respect to His law. The reception of Jesus on Sunday is 
your adoption, your inclusion in the family of God. The liberation of Jesus on Sunday is your sanctification, freedom from the grip of sin's power. And the glorification of Jesus on Sunday is your transformation. It's the guarantee of your transformation. It's the hope of glory. And this is the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, in a person, in its secure, undefiled, unfading, saved and set apart, reserved in heaven for you. Because your life is bound up in the Son. And for this hope, Paul gives thanks to the Father, and so do I, and so do you. It's the first reason for thanksgiving. But secondly, let's give thanks to God our Father because your life in Christ not only originates from a word of hope, but your life in Christ escalates in a heart of faith. Paul speaks of your faith in Christ Jesus. Your fulfillment of the first and greatest commandment. You love Him. You trust Him. It's the second reason for thanksgiving. The Bible teaches that biblical faith is a living faith. And it's comprised of three elements. First of all, living faith involves our intellect. The heart beholds something of God in Christ. It's not a mere theoretical knowledge. But it's what Paul describes in just a few verses later, chapter 1, verse 19 of this same chapter. It's a spiritual understanding. It's a holy spiritual understanding. It is a spiritual knowledge founded upon the testimony of the Holy Spirit as He works together with the Word of God. The Scriptures. Imagine a person born without a sense of taste. That person can know on the basis of a man's reliable testimony that honey is sweet. But if that man, by a sheer miracle of God, were to be restored and to be given a taste, a sense of taste, that man would know the same thing. Honey is sweet. But he would know it in a much different way. It would be a first-hand understanding. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's the first component of living faith. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. It's how we begin the Christian life. 
Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. And it's not only how we start the Christian life, it's also the way that we continue the Christian life. Which is why the Apostle Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which He has called you. To know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and to know His incomparably great power for us who believe, to taste it, to know and see and taste that the Lord really is good. Secondly, living faith involves not only our intellect, but also our affections. The heart desires what it beholds of God in Christ. Perhaps no one has captured this aspect of living faith better than the great Jonathan Edwards, pastor of Northampton, great American theologian. He writes, if persons have the true light of heaven let into their souls, it is not light without heat. A spiritual view of divine things always excites love in the soul and draws forth the heart in love to every proper object. When persons have a true discovery of the excellency and sufficiency of Christ, this is the effect. They love Him whom they believe to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, When the truth of the glorious doctrines and promises of the gospel is seen, these doctrines and promises are like so many cords which take hold of the heart and draw it out in love to God and Christ. It captures your affections. When the Spirit of the living God opens the eyes of your heart to behold the person and work of Jesus, your heart does not, by, does not respond by saying, hmm, that's pretty interesting. No, your heart responds by saying, He is the pearl of great price. I want this hope more than I want any would-be hope. And I would trade anything to have this hope because He has your heart. He has your affections. And this is what the wise pastors of old used to call the expulsive power of a new affection. But thirdly, the living faith of which Paul speaks and for which he gives thanks involves not only our intellect, not only our affections, but also our volition. The heart receives what it beholds and desires of God in Christ. You come to Jesus. You reach out to Jesus. You 
eat and drink of Jesus. You abide in Jesus. He's the person in whom you live. And in every case, there is a willing, chosen transfer of trust. From anything but Jesus to no one else but Jesus. I noticed when you walked in this evening, you saw that the chair in which you're sitting was a reliable support. And you may have even looked upon that chair and found it to be a desirable support. But not until you committed yourself, all of yourself, to the chair as your one and only personal support, have you trusted the chair in the fullest sense. And this is the faith that you have in Jesus. This is your faith in Christ Jesus. And this is the second reason why Paul is overflowing with thanksgiving. It's why I give thanks. And it's why you give thanks too. But finally, there's a third reason. To give thanks. Let's give thanks to God this evening. Not only because your life in Christ originates from a word of hope, and not only because your life in Christ escalates in a heart of faith, but also because your life in Christ culminates in a life of love. Paul gives thanks for your love for all the saints. The vertical finds tangible expression in the horizontal. Your faith in Christ Jesus goes to work. And you love the saints. All the saints. And notice three pairs of biblical truths. First of all, see this wonderful pair of causes. On the one hand, your love for all the saints is a work of faith. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 that the only thing that counts is faith working through love. A life of love is a work of faith. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But faith expressing itself in love is very much alive. And on the other hand, your love for all the saints is not only a work of faith, but it's also the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now that raises a question. How? How can love for all the saints be rooted in both the living faith of the Christian and the rising sap of the Holy Spirit. We're making our way through Galatians as Pastor Dale is preaching through that great letter. And you may recall that Paul gives a major clue to this question when he asks rhetorical questions of the bewitched Galatians. Let me ask you only this. Just one question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Or let me put it a different way. Does the God who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul's answer, by hearing with faith. Even so, Paul's answer begs another question. Why does the Holy Spirit flow to and through a heart of faith instead of a heart of works? In a very insightful chapter in his book, The Purifying Power of Future Grace, John Piper contrasts the heart of works that says, who needs Jesus? I can live a life of love on my own, in my own strength, and I want to get all of the glory. So watch me as I do all of the work. That's the heart of works. But Paul gives thanks for a heart of faith that says, Lord Jesus, you are the true and living vine, and I am a dependent branch. I can only live a life of love by your strength. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And I want you to get all of the glory. So I'm trusting you to do your work through me. And the Holy Spirit has this unswerving commitment to glorify Jesus Christ. And so it's not to the proud heart of works, but to only to the humble heart of faith that the Holy Spirit flows to produce a life of love. And notice the wonderful effects of the Holy Spirit working in your life. On the one hand, the Holy Spirit puts evil things to death, like the lies that you once believed, and the lusts that you once pursued, and the works of the flesh that you once produced. It's progressive, mind you. We're still a work in process, right? But look at what's happening by the Spirit. And on the other hand, the Spirit raises good things to life. The thoughts of the Spirit the desires of the Spirit that combine to produce the delicious fruit of the Holy Spirit. And look at it flow, the channels through which He works. How does a life of love talk like you do? Speaking constructive words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building others up. And Paul rejoices in the work of the Spirit. And how does a life of love walk? By doing constructive deeds. Walking in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Whatever we're doing, in word and in deed, doing everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. This is the love that you have for all of the saints with the Spirit of God working in you. And for this love, Paul gives thanks to the Father. And so do I, and so do you. And if I may, just on a personal note, just 
thank the Lord and thank you for how all of this has been at work and benefiting me and my family. I've spent this last year in the Psalms, and I think of Psalm 145 especially. Every day I've prayed with David, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, O Lord. Make me know the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And he has. At a very critical time in my life, he has worked through Harvest Church. He has revealed to you a word of hope. And that word of hope has kindled in you a heart of faith. And that heart of faith has gone to work and expressed itself in a life of love. We have never been so warmly welcomed and supported. I thank God for your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that you have in Christ. Thrice thankful we are this evening. Let's thank Him now. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, where would we be tonight? if not for your word of hope that gets inside of us and turns our lives upside down and inside out, that produces in us a heart of faith in Christ Jesus, that works through a life of love for all the saints. Our lives would be very, very sad and very, very different. We would spiral in on ourselves and down. But thanks be to God who gives us new life in Christ. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in us. Thank You for this word of hope. Thank You for giving us a heart of faith. And thank You for enabling a life of love. May we excel still more by the power of Your Spirit and may you get the praise through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.